Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud Spotting. I am Sai Iyer, and I have Alex Galbraith with me. Alex, what have you been up to recently? Hey, how's it going, Sai? Um, yeah, another month goes by. Goes pie? Goes by. <laughs> um, I think we're sufficiently hungry waiting for pie. Yeah, can you tell? I, yeah. I haven't actually had very much to eat today. Um, so well, what I've been up to, um, well, actually, today was quite an interesting one because um, we are kicking off a new graduate program at Rackspace. And so I've been involved in interviewing some new talent that we've been talking to. Um, so that, that's been a really interesting day for me today. And uh, yeah, for the last month or so, it's been a very Google heavy month for me this month. All so right. lots of Googleage. What about you? Yeah, same, same old, same old. Uh, it's been a quiet month from a customer point of view because we got a lot of people going on holiday. Uh, mm. But it's been good. It's been good trying to sort of catch up on a lot of technologies that are updated, catch up on things that have changed, get some more certifications. I know our managers are on our backs <laughs> trying to get certs in. It's a good time to get start working on those. For sure. So today we thought we would do something a little bit different. So our first half a dozen episodes have been focused on, what are we on now? Episode seven, I think. It's episode seven, yes, indeed. Um, they've been focused very much around the technology of technology or the technology of cloud. <laughs> um, and, and that's all very well, but there's another big side to this, which we wanted to cover. And part of what drove this was we were talking about uh, a chap called Simon Sinek, who mm-hmm. who has this um, this whole th- theory around something he calls the golden circle and the theory of why. So, right. um, what we thought we'd do is bring in somebody who isn't a technologist um, at heart. He's more of a commercially focused uh, person. So, um, without further ado, I'll just introduce George Earp. Uh, George, do you want to come and tell us a bit about yourself? Thanks, Alex. Hi, everyone. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm George Earp. I run our commercial mid-market team, heavily focused on engaging with new customers coming into Rackspace. Um, I've got a bit of a plotted career, um, having studied economics and politics at university in Bath. I decided that technology was for me, and and, and went into the IBM graduate scheme, um, which was actually really good. It was rounded, and it was a two-year program program going across commercial, operational, sales. Um, and service delivery. So actually really understanding the value that a IT solution and service provider can offer in different areas of the business. Um, After four or five years, I left there and went into a small private cloud business called Adapt and um, started working in the kind of sales arena and and came up through the business there and and was fortunate enough to get involved in what was a private equity-backed business. So a lot of conversations around our commercial proposition and, and what that meant to the valuation of the business and ensuring that the front-end sales mes- message was complementary to those metrics, but also ensuring that operationally we could deliver to our customers. Um, Adapt was lucky enough to be bought by Datapipe um, a couple of years back and went into a, a commercial and sales role there uh, for a year um, before another acquisition <laughs> in, into the lovely rack space, which brings me into this room. Um, and I've listened on to these podcasts um, over the past few months. And, and I just think it's really interesting the, the, the level of knowledge we have in and around the business, around different technical products and services. Um, but the question I keep asking the guys is that why bit, which you mentioned in the introduction, Alex. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
there, there, there's usually three kind of elements to it, aren't there? There's, there's the, the what, the how, and the why. Yeah. And more often, I think, as technologists, we're tempted to jump straight to, straight to the what and the how, mm. because that's what's most familiar and most comfortable for us. Um, but the reality is, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here with, with a job in any technology uh, or any part of the technology industry um, if there wasn't the why. Um, and we should really be trying to pivot almost as an industry um, around talking about the why first and everybody from the top, you know, the most senior person to the most junior person in any organization from a technical standpoint. So, yeah, thanks for that, Alex. I think it's a very important point you mentioned. It is the concept of why that we need to focus on. And George, absolutely, as you're saying, we, we tend to miss the question of why and the importance of why. So I think, Alex, we were talking about what and how, and as technologies, we go into what and how more than why. Um, it's going to be very crazy asking the question, but why do we have to think about why? <laughs> yeah, well, for, for me, I mean, we, we're out speaking to customers all the time. Um, and I think Iskander went through it uh, in the previous episode, and he talked about change being different. Change is now continuous, continuous and it's iterative. Um, and what that means is you need to consider a program of change as opposed to a project. But it's really important when you're thinking about that change to start with the why. So when we go and talk to customers who are potentially at the start of their cloud journey or, or haven't, haven't even started thinking about it, we like to ask that question of why are you moving to cloud? Mm. It's, it's clearly a well-trodden path and, and it's in the news, it's in the press. Amazon recently released their, their quarterly results, which have again gone up um, quarter on quarter. Um, so everyone's asking the question, you know, should our business boot, move to cloud? But we start with the why. And it's really interesting about who you then engage with, because typically um, a traditional IT decision process starts with, a, with an IT person. Mm -hmm. And then they try to think about how they engage the rest of the business. But the difference I've seen and, and certainly working in Rackspace over, over the past 12 months is that a lot of people have different views on the why now. So, so it's about that stakeholder management and asking different people around why they would move to cloud to actually inform that cloud journey. Mm -hmm. I, I, my experience of that would be, um, I think most of the time there are very good, very valid reasons for doing it. Sometimes though, it almost feels like it's um, somebody's read about it in a magazine and said everybody else is doing cloud, so we should be doing cloud. <laughs> whether, whether it's the right thing for a particular workload or a particular project or a particular program. Um, another one I've seen is... Uh, I call um, CV-driven IT strategy, where <laughs> you know, somebody might want to be involved in doing this cloud thing because actually they're not thinking about where they are today, they're thinking about where they want to be tomorrow and they want to have the evidence to say, yeah, I've done this thing already. Um, but going back to what is it that the business needs to achieve and how is cloud going to benefit them is actually the far more important discussion to have, isn't it? I agree. And, and, and it's interesting, you can take a reactive angle to it or a proactive one. So we see a lot of customers have a compelling event, which drives that, that mm -hmm. why conversation or, or perhaps wrongly the what. So, so, yeah. so what is that cloud form I'm going to build? What does it look like? Whereas if they start with the why on that compelling event, depending on what that compelling event is, they have time to actually react to it. But interestingly, what we're starting to see now is as customers become more aware of cloud and you have poster childs of, of the cloud adoption in terms of transforming their business and gaining competitive advantage is people sometimes aren't even waiting for the compelling event and, and they're proactively going into the business and asking 
different stakeholders around what their view on on cloud is and why should it be adopted and, and that's a fundamental shift exactly there's a big question and interesting you mentioned about how the shift is fundamentally moving towards the why point whereas we tend to forget we we've been using the why concept in every other part of the business uh, there's why in marketing which talks about the mission uh, essentially why are we doing this uh, if you look at root cause analysis uh, and you look at the Kaizen theory in Six Sigma, essentially the question is the five whys. So mm. we, we do this day in, day out. We do this in other parts of the business, but it's interesting that we've kind of never really adopted it natively in the cloud. It's always been the what. So why do you think, as from a, from a technical perspective, obviously you, you yourselves have a lot of experience in that. Why do you think there is a leaning towards the what? I, I think it's... Um, it's it's a there's a bit of assumption in there. They're saying when you when you start talking about technologies, especially nowadays, you assume the cloud is the way to go, and you start mm. immediately jumping one step ahead and saying, let's do something. Let's talk about what, and let's talk about how. I I think we all consciously need to take a step back and saying, right, before we go into saying what do we put in, why do we need to put it in, and and loop it back into business. And I think I think that's a very interesting point, because it it leads into the entire cloud journey side of things you're not just focusing on one concept you're not just focusing on one component so and it's not just what and how and why it's also about where and it's about who because i think who poses a very important question saying ultimately someone has to pay the money mm. uh, and who is it going to be and who's yeah. responsible and accountable for that exactly exactly so uh, on that on that topic let's let's just go further deep into it so we talk about the other questions that come up as part of a cloud journey we talk about the the what how do we tie that to things like business objectives and technical objectives? How do we link them together? And how do we sort of formulate the right questions in your, in your point of view? I think it's, for me, we, we, see, we see both successful cloud journeys and, and, and ultimately not so successful ones in terms of driving a business outcome, even though the tech, technology proposition might have landed. Um, and the thing we see most in those successful cloud journeys are where multiple stakeholders are involved at every part of the process. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we just mentioned finance. Fi finance. From a financial perspective, cloud could be a great thing. Mm. It could be a tricky thing. Having variable costs in your P&L yeah. could be something the business isn't used to. Moving from what was a um, asset-based P&L where you depreciate that asset over a three-year period and into, again, an OPEX-based model could potentially change the way the profitability of your business is, um, is valued uh, in terms of EBITDA or EBITDA minus CAPEX. So finance is just one, but then you've also mentioned marketing. So we, we see a lot of marketing teams um, who are actually um, actively using cloud. Because one mm -hmm. thing that we as Rackspace quite often forget is cloud is more than just IaaS and PaaS. Totally. It's SaaS. Yeah. Um, and when they're out using SaaS, actually you then need a complementary IaaS and PaaS proposition to join that all together. And when it falls out of shape or something goes wrong or there's a security breach um, or we don't meet the business objectives, who's there left holding the can? More often than not, people look at the IT director. Mm. Exactly. That's that's an interesting point you make there as well, because there is a stat that I've seen, I don't know how many times now and how many different articles. Um, I, th I think it hasn't quite gotten to that point yet, but um, the, the general gist of it is something like 50% of all IT budgets by the year 
you know, and the year keeps shifting, but certainly the budget keeps shifting, uh, is going to be controlled by the marketing department um, and the CMO. So that's, you know, as technologists, that does freak us out slightly because this is then going out of the hands of the people who are used to, as you, to your point around security. And, you know, we, we know how to um, drive an infrastructure. Um, but at the same time, if they're seeing that um, an internal business unit who's responsible for providing those services is not acting in an agile fashion, is not moving quickly enough, is not helping them to meet those business objectives and potentially seen as a blocker, then they are going to go around it and they'll find a way around it. And that would be potentially speaking to finance. Yeah, okay, we want to take some of this budget and go and work with a third party, for example. But, but here's the question. What sacrifice do they make? So from a from a from a business perspective if you're looking at security and compliance is it is it an uneven playing field so if marketing can go out and buy a SaaS based solution whereas your IT director is being asked to build yes. a solution which drives the same outcome is that an even playing field there's Do, a fear of shadow IT coming back in yes exactly but did, does the same level of scrutiny um, be posed towards a established SaaS proposition compared to one which is being built on a infrastructure as a service proposition from Amazon, Microsoft or Google. Mm. Absolutely. I think it's 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 a good point to sort of drive towards the fact that, you know, traditionally we had data protection officers, we had compliance officers, we had regulatory people in businesses that matter in terms of data protection. They tend to focus on servers, data hosted internally. I think that biz- that sort of segment has to expand into SaaS providers as well. You've got to take ownership of that. That's so, so true. You're, you're seeing an explosion of data now in terms of not only the quantity of it, but the location of it. So that data now where you used to know that that data was always sat on, on that net app or that EMC area, whatever it was, sitting in your data center, that data is now all over the place. It's on people's physical devices, yep. um, on mobile devices. It's on um, out in cloud SaaS providers' environments, which you are then no longer in control of. Um, partly what you're doing there, though, is you're you're actually passing on some of that risk to another player. So you're almost um, washing yourselves of some of that risk by using a SaaS provider because ultimately you don't have the, that level of control over it. So you have to trust that that SaaS provider can, you know, can do what they need to do to, to ensure the quality, or sorry, the, the, the security of your data. Um, but but on the reverse, that's that's something that we again we as technologists find quite hard to do Absolutely. is to let go of that control. But the value is is more immediate. Yeah. In in if you're delivering a service to an end user, then then that value is immediate to the end user. So does the business accept more risk in that scenario? So why? Absolutely. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's, it's an absolutely valid point. Where, where does the risk lie? Is it the speed of uh, delivery versus the evaluation of the product, or is it about the money made? So that's really interesting. I, I think um, I'd like to change course very slightly, and we mentioned earlier on around stakeholder management. So, um, you know, we have stakeholders in multiple different business units. You mentioned things like finance and marketing and others. Um, how do we, as technologists, integrate better with the rest of the business how do we open those lines of communication and how do we get to the why so that we can start to deliver better business value i think that's it's a really difficult question for businesses to answer and it will vary depending on the organization you're involved with uh, and there are there are variables there such as size of the business culture of the business yep. um, geographical locations of the business but what what we tend to see is, is when there's a forum or a community around where business problems can be discussed, 
and focusing on that business element first, which will ultimately drive the why and having technology people in a room who can provide a solution of how an IT service or solution underpins what the business is trying to achieve in terms of some form of, say, digital transformation, then however that business is structured, it will plug itself together in its own unique way. The challenge we see is, is, when, a, is when an IT team has been given a set of business directives if they need to achieve a, B, and C, or X, Y, and Z, and no context. Context. And that's that the word. important. Yeah, context is everything in this in this in this area, and that's exactly true. It is context becomes the bridge, because essentially, if you give a business objective to a tech team, you're not going to get a tech output or a business output. Mm. You're going to get a what out of it, a product. So that's that's key factor there. We talk about context. We also talk about the bridge. It, when you start talking about business objectives and, and the tech team, how do you drive innovation and profit? Who does it? Is it the business side of things? Is it the tech side of things? Is it the marketing officer? Again, I think it depends. But the, what, what we've seen pull this together, uh, and, and it's a familiar phase, phrase in the, um, in the industry today, but is digital transformation. Because digital transformation is something that a technologist can understand as much as the business can. And, and, and when you're talking about the value that digital transformation can drive in terms of that innovation question that you ask, Sai, or perhaps even the profit which needs to be delivered into the business, True. Um, a technologist can, I think, get to grips with that because they understand, again, how te technology supports that. But the business also appreciate that technology is fundamental to digital transformation. So whereas 10 years ago, we, people spoke a lot about the IT and the business, if you put digital in the middle of it, and it won't be suitable for all organizations, but, but again, we see a lot of success when there's a focus on digital in terms of transformation and how a cloud journey supports that. Yep. So that's, right. that's where you have a fundamental change in a mindset in a business, isn't it? That IT moves away from being a cost center Mm -hmm. to being something that is actually seen as something revenue generating. And what's amazing to me is how many businesses, like you look at every traditional business in the world nowadays, probably you know, 95% of traditional types of business are moving towards the need for using you know, IT and digital strategy in order to drive, drive those businesses forward and keep them alive. Um, so that definitely there is that mind shift. But I think one of the struggles that we have is sometimes in, in, in organizations that we're not the first people to come forward and open up those conversations, open up those avenues of discussion into the business and and be part of that business level discussion first. And I think that's where we need to be as technologists, we need to be just better at doing that. I don't know. I don't know. It's not an easy it's not an easy question. It's not an easy answer, is it? No. But and and with every business it's going to be different. Um but no, I, it, no, just to add to that, Alex, I I completely agree. And I and I think your point about IT moving from a cost center to a profit center is a valid one. But there's another, there's another, there's almost another stage to that we're starting to see because a lot of organizations are starting to recognize that. A lot of organizations are starting to see the value that IT can deliver and thinking of it in, in terms of a profit center. But coming back to the why, in order to really realize that value of seeing it as a profit center, you need to think more than just about a cloud transformation. Because changing your technology back end and looking at the digital element in two starts to open questions around your business processes, around the services which you're driving into clients 
and, and actually there needs to be a culture of change higher than the technology stack mm -hmm. in order to drive that value. And, and, and that's part of the reason we start to see the success when you look at the digital, because as we discussed earlier, when an end user is consuming something, value can be derived or is perceived to be derived more immediately. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the link. And ultimately, whatever we're trying to do in business is around looking to improve your customer value and that's going to improve your revenues and if yep. you can do it in such a way that cuts your costs you're onto a winning thing and, and that's perfectly the my next point i was going to say because you mentioned values and you mentioned customer values that drives in straight in so does that form then the next kpi that a business needs is that what a ceo is looking for customer value or are there other things that we need to consider i think certainly the ceos that we've been talking to in the past six months is it's one of the first questions they ask what what is the what is my end customer value going to be from this investment mm -hmm. um and and we're starting to see that question push down the chain too you mean we shouldn't just do it for the sake of it <laughs> well we, we spoke New about technology. those what was the phrase you used around cvs alex <laughs> exactly we've implemented a big aws solution we've done our job right yeah it looks amazing you should yeah. see the diagram and everything yeah yeah <laughs> But that, but that's a question then. To um, Sai's mentioned about sitting, sitting, talking to the CEO. Um, do we actually understand as, as again, talking as a technologist? When you know, if I'm, if I was working in a business, would I know what my, uh, what my CEO looks at on a Monday morning when he comes in? What's important to him? What's he actually seeing on his list of his KPIs? What's he asking his direct reports? Um, what are the most important things? And how is IT supporting those? Uh, those KPIs, yeah. those outcomes, etc. Um, because if we can get to understanding what they are, what he's looking at or she is looking at, we can then start to understand, okay, how, how can we underpin that and improve the way that we're underpinning that? It's a very interesting point. I recently had a discussion with a customer and uh, this was with the IT, or the CTO rather. Uh, he's, he came across and he said, I, I, he built this amazing dashboard, runs on the cloud, has a lot of green red lights that tells about what services are up and things like that. He gave it to a CEO as a dashboard and the feedback he got from a CEO was, this is pointless, it's useless to me. <laughs> so it, it, is, it is not what most CEOs are expecting. They, they don't want flashing lights to see what's up and down. I guess it's more about what they need to see. Well, I completely agree. If you've, if you've ever read the book, Good to Great, they, they yes. talk about different styles of leadership in there. And I think what you're talking about in terms of a, a CEO being very open about what he perceives as value for within his business and, and therefore the value it drives out to customers is, is part of the um, higher end leadership styles, which, which pushes businesses from good to great. Um, and, and that information has to flow down through a business. Otherwise you have a, a workforce who, who are walking, to, who are working towards um, goals which aren't common yep. and everyone has different objectives mm -hmm. how can you possibly be driving the ultimate value that your company wants to deliver if you don't understand your role in the supply chain mm -hmm. absolutely and it was a good point actually because uh, one of our guests uh, Paul Paul Fryer with the previous episodes he had a very interesting concept when we were talking about uh, goals and objectives like every 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 level in every business has a goals and objectives like every person in it he built he essentially built it as a pyramid say everybody has their own goals and objectives but it needs to meet the top of the mission 
And the top of the mission could be something specified by the CEO to say customer value. If mm-hmm. that customer value is the top of the mission, whatever you implement as your own personal goal should be, there must be a pathway from that to the top mission. Yeah. From an architectural standpoint, we actually look at it in another way as well, or sorry, in the same way, I should say. Um, when I sit down and talk to a customer about whatever it is they're trying to achieve, um, yes, we'll have a list of requirements and yes, we'll have a list of goals that the customer, you know, that, that's what their end state needs to be, et cetera. And some of those are functional. So sometimes it's around uh, what they want it to, to do. And then sometimes it's non-functional and what they want it to be. But actually, overarching all of that, there need to be a set of guiding principles. And I think with the goals, that's a direct correlation there. Yep. Guiding principles to an architecture should always actually be driven by what is that business strategy as well. Well, here's, here's the question then. How often are they? Uh, <laughs> not as often as they need to be. Depends who your architect is. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but no, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, some, sometimes the companies don't even necessarily understand what their guiding principles are until you help them to understand it. That's, a, that's actually more of a kind of a, a reverse uh, process on that. And when they see these things written down and in kind of black and white, this is what we're hearing from you. That can be a bit of a light bulb moment for some organizations because like, yeah, we didn't actually think about it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I recently had a conversation with another customer. Uh, we went through the whole process of specking out AWS. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had one question in the end. I said, uh, you've, you've assumed that you're, you're fully invested in AWS. Is that true? And he turned around to me. It's like, oh, wow, we didn't even think about that. Because mm-hmm. you invested 10 months in designing your application to sit on AWS technology. What if you suddenly decide you don't want to be on AWS? Mm-hmm. Well, AWS is the biggest cloud, isn't it? So. Oh, yeah, it is the biggest cloud. I, I don't think we're talking about clouds here, are we? <laughs> you want to talk about Kubernetes, don't you, Scott? Oh, yes. Kubernetes has to come back here. Every episode, for sure. <laughs> One of these days we might actually talk about it properly, eh? We should. We should I think probably. we should. We've got to find someone who can talk to us. Next year. Next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. No, look, I think they're absolutely valid points and they're really good topics that we need to talk about. Um, one last thing I wanted to bring in, uh, and there are some decisions. There are some decisions that we, we sort of always face when we talk to customers. We, we, I, I'm, I'm guessing these are decisions uh, the IT team faces as well from a customer point of view. We always talk about multi-cloud. We always talk about hybrid cloud. And we talk about decision to go either ways. Uh, and I'm, I'm, it's a very open-ended question. It's a very broad question. And I'm, I'm, this, is, this is kind of an open question to everybody. And, and guys, just give us your feedback and send us your responses of what you think. This is going to be a tough question, Alex. <laughs> I think it's going to be. No, it's an open-ended question. So the decision of going hybrid or multi-cloud or, or a specific cloud, are the decisions made purely on business, on tech, or is there a magic combination of both? I'll go first, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think it's a common question which which businesses ask themselves. <clears throat> I almost wouldn't ask the question. So you, you clearly have a, a strategy of how technology supports what your business is trying to achieve. What we've seen in the past couple of years is cloud has become more and more prominent as 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 people go through these transformations. Is, is that actually where it's most successful is if they state that business goal and, and then start to come down the stack in terms of, if we were just talking about customer value, how business processes complement that customer value. 
you can then start to look at a service integration layer and ultimately dropping down into applications, which is the world which, which Rackspace is familiar with. And, and once you've looked at those applications, only then, only then can mm. you have a perspective on whether it's hybrid, whether it's multi-cloud, mm -hmm. whether it's dedicated, whether it's private, whether it's public. And, yeah. and there's so many terminologies which, which different businesses use to, at times, differentiate themselves when actually it comes back to almost one of those, the first points we spoke about on this, on this podcast, which is change is iterative. And, 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 and actually there's going to be different versions of, of solutions that you have and you need that flexibility. Mm. If that means multi-cloud, if that's the definition of multi-cloud in terms of having that flexibility of different infrastructure and PaaS based solutions to deploy, yep. then there may be multi-cloud the answer, but I would come at the question from the other way around. I, th I think the, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add to that. <laughs> I think you've absolutely nailed it there. Um, Give us a technologist point of view, Alex. Uh, so the techie guy reckons that. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think the, it's almost the first thing you want to do is break down what do those two terms mean. Mm. So, and depending on who you ask, mm. I've actually had different answers to exactly that. Like if I say to somebody, what does multi-cloud mean? One person might say, well, I, I'm talking about AWS and Azure. Another person will say, well, I'm talking about an on-premises solution and something that's actually in a third-party public cloud. So... Perception can even be different on that basis. Interesting. I think there was a period back probably about two, three, four years ago, and everybody was talking about this hybrid cloud thing. We're going to have workloads that burst out into the public cloud, and but everything's going to mainly oh, yes. run on-prem. And you know, I don't think that's actually where we've ended up. And I think what George was describing there about looking at this at an application layer was exactly what you need to do. You need to work out, okay, firstly, from a technology perspective, where is the best place for this workload to sit, right? Where's the best place for the data to sit? Okay, now I have a second workload. How do those two interact? How do they integrate? Um, would it make a technological sense to put this other application on a different platform? Mm -hmm. And now I have a multi-cloud strategy, but actually now it's a nightmare because my data is somewhere else. So the way that not only individual applications work, but the way that those applications integrate and, um, and interact, I think that's actually more key from a technologist perspective, how to work out that multi-cloud versus hybrid cloud versus single cloud strategy. I agree. And, 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 and it's interesting. We, we see a lot of customers who, who come to us with the, the what aspect. They say, whether it's multi-cloud or hybrid cloud, however you've defined it, they say, I want to be able to deploy an application in Azure, in Google, in Amazon, in Alibaba, mm -hmm. on-prem, based on a on a cost-based decision and, <laughs> and and there's a terminology cloud's cloud, cheaper, right? you know, well, cloud service <laughs> brokerage and and a set of rules around processes around how that happens the question i would ask back to them is what value are you driving beyond just that commercial profile mm -hmm. because is there actually a value of diving deeper into one cloud which then allows you to take advantage of the higher order services yep indeed um and again the 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 key where we see these successful migrations and transformations is if you started with the why then actually that will drive those decisions further down the piece yes there'll be technology decisions and they're absolutely critical to making this work but there might also be business or or marketing based or or other things we've discussed on this podcast decisions which are, which are driving that interesting you say that because i think you've just segued 
unbeknownst into the perfect segue to our news item. It's almost as if we have notes. <laughs> it's almost as if we have. Um, so to exactly that point, um, you know, making a decision around which club provider to use, for example, what say, for example, if I'm a retailer and um, maybe I have a very, very large... Uh, what do we call it? The 800 pound gorilla in the room in the retail sector. Oh yeah. Um, you know, do I want to work with that organization to grow my business faster and utilize their platform? Or do I want to say, no way, Jose, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give them more money. That's actually a really common discussion. So George, you brought the news item for this week. Do you want to just run through, um, what the news item was and we can dig into it? Yeah, sure. So, um, in line with the quarterly results, which have, have come out, we, we saw a lot of the, the cloud results from Amazon, Azure, and Google. The ones which, there's two things which stood out to me. Firstly, within AWS, AWS is now driving a significant amount of the revenues within Amazon, uh, which to, I think, technology people is, we kind of go, of course they are. But <laughs> to people outside of technology who think about Amazon as the app on your phone, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's, that's significant. And if you look at their growth quarter on quarter, I think it was 42, moving to 48 and 49% growth. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and, and the interesting bit is, is Google and Microsoft are, are whilst the results are, um, there's always lies, damn lies and statistics, <laughs> they, they, they are catching up and, and, and it's, it's really interesting seeing the, the growth in different areas and around how you perceive, well, what's cloud? Because mm-hmm. there, there was an interesting article on LinkedIn I read the other day which actually said that Microsoft, if you start to look at their SaaS-based revenues, particularly around Office 365, mm-hmm. then, then you could argue they're as big a cloud player as Amazon. Anyway, we diverge. But, but the, <laughs> coming back to your point, Alex, the, the, the knock-on piece of information, I, I found it astounding. Um, eMarketer did some research, and they, they, they found that Amazon now has 49% of all US, US e-commerce. Sure. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, that's not not insignificant, is it? No, and <laughs> and if you look at the growth trajectory of that industry, global e-commerce revenues are forecast to grow twenty eight percent to nearly four hundred billion per annum by mm. the end of twenty eighteen. Wow. Now clearly, there's a US versus global there, of course, mm-hmm. but forty nine percent. It's huge. So the so the I guess the, that then gets to the point of um you know as a as a retailer do do businesses want to continue to support that or actually do you think actually you know with retail being one of the one of the or e-commerce i should say um being one of the biggest drivers to you know some of the largest sites out there some of the biggest you know web scale platforms etc um do you see that they might look to adopt some of the other big cloud players purely to avoid working with the likes of amazon i think for me the biggest thing now is they've got choice Mm-hmm. So there are clearly advantages um, between all of the cloud suppliers, and they they have their own niches and um, specialisms. But for for an e-commerce provider in that situation, they they just have choice, and that's part of our engagements with a customer is helping them understand that choice available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Microsoft and Google are heavily heavily focusing on the retail industry at the moment. We mm-hmm. work a lot with the UK and the European teams. And we just, they just need to make the right decision for their business. And mm-hmm. sometimes that will be a cultural one. Sure. But, but equally, they now have the ability to deliver the technology question in a completely different fashion. And, and that's what I think is most exciting about the industry, just the choice available out there. Mm-hmm. 
which is and that's one of the reasons why I particularly enjoy what I get to do for a, for a living because I get to play with all these things. I've got like a big box of Lego here. <laughs> <laughs> and we've just got the answer to, to what type of solution architect Alex is. And you do, yes. <clears throat> so yeah, if you, if you want to impress Alex, send in Lego. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably Star Wars Lego. Indeed. So uh, I think uh, one final question to George, and this is uh, probably going to be un- un- undocumented in the notes. <laughs> I'm in trouble then. <laughs> if you were to t- say one thing to a to a technologist to an IT person what would you say from a commercial point of view when looking at a cloud journey i we've spoken about it today but involve as many stakeholders as you possibly can early on in that journey and coming back to the theme of this podcast if they can understand the why of each of those stakeholders, once they've built that technology solution and platform, either on themselves or with a set of partners, they'll have a much greater ability to drive the business value that they're looking for from that technology platform. And ultimately, that's going to make them successful in their own roles and hopefully it's going to make that business successful in their market. That's very good advice. Thank you very much for joining us, George. Thanks for having me. Um, So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, Until the next time we have a show, if you can do us a massive favor, you could give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at Spotting Clouds. Um, We also have a website now, as we mentioned on the last episode. So if you go to go.rackspace.com slash cloud spotting, you can see us there. Um, And other than that, until next time. Until next time, indeed.